0: On today's hot sheet, I discuss which housing markets are back to pre-pandemic inventory levels, San Francisco's office sector, big report and update on that, and mortgage demand. Today is Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. I'm Byron Lazine and the hot sheet starts now. All right, welcome back to today's Hot Let me know in the live chat which market you are tuning in from. This, of course, is the only live housing show that happens every single day on the internet. I know there are maybe some legacy media companies out there putting surveys out about, hmm, should we do a, a live show every single day? And then there are others that have been doing it since January without missing a day open every single day that the market is open. We've learned a lot since January here. We're, we're seven months plus into this journey of the hot sheet. We couldn't do it without your support, but we want to grow the show. So if you could, please consider sharing the hot sheet with someone else who could benefit in an update on housing every day. They don't have to be just an agent. They could be a lender. Of course, we t- talk a lot about mortgage and we're going to be talking about it before we wrap up The show here today. They could be a home inspector, an attorney. I mean, we all agree that attorneys could use even more education because eight years wasn't enough sometimes for common sense to knock in. That's not a knock on my attorneys. I love you guys. We need you guys. Uh, But please consider sharing this with with someone else who could benefit. We want to get it out in front of more people. Hitting that thumbs up button does help do that as well uh, as also just subscribing to the channel so that you see these videos as they populate. All right, let's jump into the update today. Uh, Lance Lambert did a great piece on Fortune, breaking down uh, what the inventory levels actually look like, how dramatically different they are than just a few years ago. Of course, we update inventory levels every single Monday using Altos Research, and we haven't seen enough inventory come onto the market. That's been the common theme. We're looking for more new listings. We're at an all-time low of new listings. Uh, but what I thought the you know, the, the picture that Lance painted shows how drastic this has really swung in one direction. Headline reigns, the housing market uh, seller strike is so ruthless that only seven of the nation's 200 largest markets are back to pre-pandemic inventory levels. So 97% of the largest 200 housing markets are inventory starved is another way to look at this. Okay. Some of the biggest ones, some of the biggest differences uh, would be if you look at what's going on in Austin, Texas, which is over 6% from pre-pandemic levels. It's one of The only seven markets that's above pre-pandemic levels. And then on the other side, if you look at Hartford, Connecticut, is 79% below pre-pandemic inventory levels. Like we talked about yesterday on the stream, Hartford, Connecticut is one of the big winners on price growth because it's pretty obvious when you have no inventory, prices are going to move up. It happens consistently. This is basic economic supply and demand. So prices are up in Hartford, Connecticut, while they're down in Austin, Texas. Not to beat up on just Austin, joining Austin, the other uh, markets on the list of seven that are above pre-pandemic levels, which I think is a good thing, right? I mean, Austin went way above the Hartford gains during the pandemic on home prices. So now having more inventory is helping a market that's, that's accelerated well past most in the country on home price appreciation over the last five to 10 years. It is such a growing community. And there's an argument that it's certainly overheated on price. So joining Austin on the seven that actually have inventory above pre-pandemic levels would be... Uh, The Temple, Texas area, Uh, Lubbock, Texas. Not sure if I pronounced that correctly. Kennewick, Richland, Washington area, Waco, Texas. Obviously, Austin we mentioned. Huntsville, Alabama, and Port Arthur, Texas. So a lot of these Texas communities, Texas is a, a high inbound migration state in the country the last several years, okay, no state income tax, all the benefits that there are, they're they're able to build a lot more new construction in that state as opposed to other states like California or the Northeast, where you have more of a density issue on the land. Uh, So a lot of Texas making up the seven communities where inventory levels are above the pre-pandemic level. This is pulling prices down. In some of those communities, it's providing opportunity for some buyers to see a more affordable situation. Uh, if we look here, and you can put a put a market in, we'll go through a couple different different markets here. Okay, and the, all these numbers are driven from Realtor.com, but I think Fortune does the best job when it comes to these 200 markets of breaking out the inventory levels on a interactive chart, and so. Uh, I'm going to share that here with you guys and we'll go through some of them, but let's just go to Austin because that was the example uh, that Lance used in this piece uh, as well as on Twitter or, or X. I can't call it X. Can anybody call it X? I, I'm not like, yeah, earlier on X. Now I certainly can use it when I'm referring to BAM X, which you get 10% off using hot as your code discount to- code down below because BAM X sounds good. X on its own. Just sounds weird when I know it as Twitter. But, anyways, here's Austin. Look at uh, the inventory here. Look at to the right of the chart 8,522 homes. Uh, if there's an Austin Tech, maybe Jeremy Knight. I'll be in Austin, by the way, September the 8th for Jeremy Knight's event. Well, we've got to get that linked up down below, too. If somebody can't make, uh, you know, obviously Bam Camp. In late September in Naples, but maybe they live in Texas. They want to come see me and Eric, the broke agent. We're going to be at Jeremy's event. We got to get that linked up on the hot sheet here going forward. So, Haley, maybe make a, a note of that. I don't know where Bobby is, by the way, Haley. I, I saw you're, you're producing the show. I have no idea what happened to Bobby today. Anyways, going back to Austin, 8,522 homes. That's more than going all the way back to 2017. Okay, at this time. So, this is like not just pre pandemic levels, meaning. 2019. Austin above inventory levels going all the way back of 2017. That's interesting. That's that's a big number. Uh, let's go to Hartford just to show the difference between the two. Okay. So here you go. You're looking at Austin. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on the replay on Spotify or something, it's 8,522 compared to, let's just use the 2019 right before the pandemic, 8,005 for Austin. Now let's look at Hartford, Connecticut, which is 79% below pre-pandemic levels. Look at that chart, just drop on the right. 1,012 homes for sale in a given month. In 2019, it was 4,895. In 2017, it was 5,630. For those of you familiar with the Connecticut market, in 2012 13 14 15 people never thought they they were going to get their values back that there was ever going to be low inventory connecticut got really beat up after the after the bubble people wanted to leave connecticut there was a lot of um you know tax talk all these different things right and so to see this for those that that are familiar with that particular market it's mind boggling for some that that went through the the 2012 2013 2014, but that's, what's going on. Drop a couple and Haley, if you can post them, if, if uh, these are the top 200 markets, so you know, try not to give me, you know, some, some, try not to give me a Jewett city, Connecticut, where, where I grew up, where I don't even know, maybe a a few hundred people might live there or something like that. Give me something that is maybe a top 200 market. I'll pick a couple here. Let's go to Jacksonville. Jacksonville inventory is still below pre-pandemic levels, but up from the last couple of years. Uh, let's go to Jackson, Mississippi. I was thinking, I'll always think of Deion Sanders now with, with what he did with uh, the university there, the HBCU in Jackson, now off to Colorado, of course. But Jackson, Mississippi inventory levels still very low uh, below pre-pandemic, a little bit above the last couple of years. If Haley, if you want to post anybody's markets, uh, I can certainly – Be happy to go and and pick a few here. Let's pick a couple of the big ones. Let's pick Dallas. Dallas, not as extreme as Austin. 16,142 homes for sale um, compared to 24,747 pre-pandemic in a month. So it's really still Dallas well below pre-pandemic levels. Uh, Go to... Let's go to Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina right now. I'll go to OKC, Jody, no problem. Charleston, South Carolina, 1,952 right now compared with uh, 5,193 pre-pandemic. So well below. Uh, We're heading to OKC. If anybody has a market you want me to pull up, just drop it into the live chat. Happy to do it. Let's go to Oklahoma City. There we go. OKC, 3,427 in the last month compared with uh, 5,121 pre-pandemic. So uh, at the end of 2020, beginning of 21, rather, uh, you had 3,526. So pr- so pretty much the same there on OKC. I saw something flat. Haley, you're going to have to just leave it up there. Uh, let's go to Phoenix. Uh, Jacqueline from Jacqueline Smith from Arizona says Phoenix is way below. Let's see if Realtor.com agrees with Jacqueline. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They don't agree. I mean, you're gonna know. Oh no, they do agree. I'm sorry. I'm looking at. I'm looking at 21. All right, so 8,232. You would be correct, Jacqueline. Of course, you're correct because you're a local expert. Uh, One uh, 13,218 for pre-pandemic. And you go back to 2017 in Phoenix, it was 16,023. So half of the inventory today, 8,232, compared to 2017, 16,000 in a given month. And Phoenix has a lot of homes. We'll go to San Jose next, no problem. Uh, Phoenix has a lot of homes, a lot of new construction. So to see a market now, Phoenix popped last year. Okay, a year ago, you had 14,302, which was above pre-pandemic levels. Take a look at that. A year ago, when rates went up, Phoenix was 14,302. And that was above the 13,000 and change pre, you know, just before the pandemic. And look at what a year has done. This shows you the, the strength of the market, the demand for retirees to be in a place like Phoenix. It has swung right back in a year to extremely low inventory levels. All right, where are we heading? San Jose. Let's take a trip up the West Coast to San Jose from Phoenix. San Jose, 953. It's the lowest of any point. That's in a in a given month, 953. Um, that's the lowest on this whole chart really except for like a couple of these seasonal months in 2018 and 2022 but you go back to 2017 it was 1178 it's below that it's below last year's level of almost 2000 it's below the pre-pandemic level of 2300 953 in san jose okay uh there you go the Uh, inventory update as put together by Lance Lambert from fortune. We did a pod with Lance on at knowledge brokers podcast. You can go check it out on that channel. We did that last Friday. I thought it was a great state of the housing market update, you know, halfway, more than halfway through the year and, and looking forward, uh, looking forward to also what the fed's going to do. There's going to be a big CPI report tomorrow too. So make sure, uh, you're tuned into the hot sheet tomorrow. Make sure you hit that bell so you don't miss tomorrow, but good piece by Lance using that Uh, realtor.com data. All right. We talked about it yesterday and we talk about it a lot because it's what's happening in the commercial market. San Francisco's office sector is at the epicenter of the crash. According to a new research firm prediction, Uh, they believe, okay, Capital Economics published a report uh, where they believe that San Francisco is going to plunge 40% by 2025, okay? And this is just office buildings. Now, yesterday, uh, we were talking about apartments and apartments being down 14%. And there was a couple different numbers that we were looking at and offices have, have fallen. Uh, but I, I mentioned yesterday, I think there's a long way to go with office and not as long for apartments. I do think apartments... Have an inventory issue in certain places, um, and that there's still going to be some values dropping, and it's hard to get capital. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. It's hard. It's hard to get financing. There was actually, um, you know, a quote from Rich Gottlieb with Keystone, a Philadelphia-based commercial real estate firm, recently, who said, "For an office building, you can't get a loan today. There's no liquidity in the market, and it's even hard." To get a loan for apartment buildings as well, but it's basically impossible uh, to get it for an office building. It's got to be new. Um, it, it's it's got to be a special situation right now to get financing in an office building, or you already got to have a pre-existing loan, and the bank just doesn't want to take the full hit, and, and they're willing to work with you on some kind of deal. But Black Knight and others have just walked away from com- commercial office building debt. So in this report. Uh, written by Capital Economics. Further downgrades to our national office outlook have driven corresponding cuts to return prospects in our metro-level forecast this year. They are broken down by six major markets, southern metros, western metros. Um, And that being said, the firm forecasts San Francisco office values will drop 40% at the very least in the next couple of years between 23 and 25. They also believe it's going to take 17 years, okay, 2040, for San Francisco even to have a chance to come back in their office building sector. I mean, 17 years right now seems like a long time. I know when we get there, it'll seem like a short period of time. It seems like a long period of time. What do you do between now and then? Uh, pick Gupta, who is an uh, associate professor of finance at N. Yu Stern. Okay. NYU Stern. All right. There you go. That, that's where he's from. He put out an interesting paper. Okay. A new paper on office residential conversions. Could this be what happens here over the next 17 years as we wait for, I don't know what's going to happen in 2040. Everybody's going to go back to the office. Um, seems surprising. There, there was a Speaking of going back to the office, there was a Wall Street Journal article I read this morning. WeWork raises doubt about its survival. I'll get back to the white paper here in just a second that I'm going to reference on the office conversions. But, you know, people going back to the office, WeWork can't make it because the current offices that are being leased out, they say, are are now trying to compete with WeWork. People don't want to pay their leases. So people are like, you know what? I'll do a flex space here. You know, like everybody's like, I'll do a flex space. I'll do a flex space. My office is, you know, being used by 10 or 15% of the employees. So I'll make the empty rooms, you know, flexible for maybe an insurance rep or an attorney or whatever uh, to come in and still use the space. Um, WeWork says they're maybe going to go out of business and that they don't know if they can sustain. There's a uh, there's a glut of these office spaces that are competing with them. They have high leases on a lot of these office spaces they they might be floating this out to the journal basically to try to renegotiate some of their leases and kind of give it one last, Hey, if we can get some deals done, uh, on our office space, maybe we'll stick it out. All right. But back to the white paper, uh, that I thought was interesting. Why did that? There we go. All right. Uh, Converting brown offices to green apartments can contribute towards a solution to three pressing issues. Okay. This this is uh, Gupta, Candy Martinez, and uh, Van Neuerber. Maybe I got that right. Uh, Put their efforts together to write this white paper. Okay. So the three pressing issues that converting brown offices to green apartments could help solve would be the oversupply that we just discussed of office in a hybrid and work remote world, number one. The sh- uh, number two, the shortage of housing, of course, and excessive greenhouse gas emissions. We propose a set of criteria to identify commercial office properties that are physically suitable for conversion, yielding about 11% of all office buildings across the U.S., we present a pro forma real estate model that identifies parameters under which these conversions are financially viable. We highlight several policy levers available to federal, state, and local governments that could accelerate the conversion and that may be necessary. Here's the big one. I mean, here's, listen, this is what, if you're following Nashi, this is what I've been talking about. Okay. So uh, this could accelerate the conversion. So they're saying only 11 percent. Remember, of office buildings across the U.S., they have identified that could be a possibility. But this conversion could be accelerated. Uh, should policymakers desire the creation of affordable housing, we highlight the role of the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that that could play. Okay, but but this is maybe the most impactful line. Should policymakers desire the creation of affordable housing. Should they, then this could become a reality. But the question is really, do they do policymakers desire the creation of affordable housing? It would come into question. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but it would come into question with the DOJ lawsuits right now in real estate that, there might be some policymakers that want to end buyer agency, which would we know undoubtedly create more tenants. Maybe they don't want more owners in this country. I, I don't know. I don't know what, what role NARA is going to play in helping the, the buyers of, of real estate that are you know homeowners 44 times more wealthy than renters. I, I don't know what role NARA is going to play. Are they going to lay down for the government or are they going to create a new legacy for themselves um, by protecting buyer agency. What do policymakers really want out of all of that? What do they really want out of advancing the supply of multifamily in this country at a much more significant pace and rate than single family for purchase housing? So I don't know. That stood out for me in, in the white paper. Like, Hey, Anything can work. We can get more affordable housing on the market. Should policymakers desire the creation of affordable housing? They mention it here and there. They'll talk about it a little bit when they're on the campaign trail. Very few times they do anything about it. So do they actually desire the creation of affordable housing? I know I do. I certainly do. Um, and if only 11% of these commercial buildings can be converted uh okay let's maybe get the cost in line for these developers from a policy standpoint uh to maybe grow that from 11 to 20% if that's going to be one of the solutions out of this remember a commercial real estate crisis will also mean regional banking crisis which also means economic crisis which also means recession goes way up. Okay, like we don't want that trickle effect. We want to have solutions for these problems. Office buildings is a problem. We do need a solution for it. Uh something that we're not going to have a solution for during this time of year because it's just the seasonal truth is that mortgage demand has dropped again and it's going to continue to drop. Mortgage demand drops again after FHA loan interest rate hits its 21 year high. The average contract uh, rate for the 30 year fixed mortgages with conforming loan balances, 626.2 or less, increased to 7.09 from 6.93. The rate on FHA loans, which are favored by first time homebuyers or low income borrowers because they offer low down payments, hit 7.02, the highest since 20- 2002. Applications. I, I had a. Uh, I think in you know, 02, I had a little bit of a higher rate than that. Maybe they just didn't trust me. I don't know. Applications for a mortgage to purchase a home dropped 3% for the week and were 21 or 27% lower the same week a year ago. This is uh, data I'm reading off of CNBC, but that was from Mortgage Banker Association, of course. Uh, Treasury yields rose last week and mortgage rates followed suit due to the combination of the Treasury's funding announcement and the downgrading of the U.S. government debt rating. Joel Kahn, vice president, Deputy Chief Economist at MBA. It's not surprising at all. Um, it's the it's the seasonal time that we're in. This is this is what's supposed to happen this time of year. Now, inventory is also supposed to rise a lot faster, but uh, mortgage demand is supposed to go down this time of year. It always does. Okay, so I'm not surprised at it at all. Uh, what might be surprising to some who are waiting for some real estate crash. Is that the availability of these mortgages at 7% is far less than the availability of the mortgages, even going back to 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19? This is mortgage credit availability by month. And this chart, I'm going to put both of these in the daily download. So if you're a BAMX member, you'll get access to these. Uh, you can use code HOT to become a BAMX member, where we Put all of our daily downloads, all of our live streams. We have a live stream today on video editing at uh, three o'clock. With maybe that's where Bobby is. Maybe he's preparing for his live stream. But here's another chart: mortgage credit availability index uh, for uh, you know a historical measure. I mean, look at the mortgage credit availability back in two thousand and six and seven. We're nowhere near. We were in the 900s on the index. We're at ninety six point three. Okay, that 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 line on the bottom, the 100, the the Mendoza line, uh, that's what like that's 2012. They're saying, okay, this is now normal credit availability after the mortgage crisis. But we were above that for really all of 2013, 14 to 2020. Maybe not the normal, but maybe, you know, where they're tracking it from 12 after the crisis. Okay, Uh, we're below that. Or below it we're at 96.3 so there's not a lot of m- credit out there uh, available for buyers this is going to be one of the things that ensures that we have a strong home buyer okay this will be one of the things that uh ensures that we don't get into another mortgage crisis the lack of the availability the availability is continuing to shrink up as that 10-year uh, yield continues to increase it's back up again today back up over four there's the latest on the 10-year 4.019 uh, yesterday's 30-year did pop Uh, or no it did come down a little bit it came down 0.02 so 7.04 still didn't get under seven probably see that pop up slightly again today okay uh, if you haven't done so already there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff coming up okay you should make one of them if you haven't done uh so already on the Tom Ferry Summit you can get your ticket down below using co- code PRBAMSS that's August 22nd to the 24th we're hosting Bam Bash on the 22nd Bam X members absolutely get into that use code HOT to get 10% off of Bam X okay you can also get as BAMX member, 25% off of our BAM camp, which is happening September 20th, right down here in Naples, Florida, okay? Uh, That one there, the prices do go up. You'll still get the 25% off as a BAMX member. The prices go up tomorrow, I believe. August 10th, is that tomorrow? I think it's the 10th or 11th. So yeah, prices are going up tomorrow on BAM camp. And then September 8th, I'll be in Austin, Texas for Jeremy Knight's event. Uh, And that one, we got to get linked up if you're in Texas and interested in going to that. All right. Uh, We do have a live stream today for BAMX members. Bobby's going to be going over video editing, some of the basics about podcasting. You can ask him any question about setup. There'll be a live interactive experience, of course. So if you're not a BAMX member and you want that or any of our past live streams or courses, use the code HOT to get into BAMX today, 10% off. All right. Hope everybody has... A great Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, lo.